0: Well, hello, and welcome to the RCC Podcast. We are so glad you chose to join us today. It is our hope that you are inspired, challenged, and learn something new. Enjoy the message. Morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 26. My name is Stephen, I'm uh, the pastor here if you're new. I'd love a chance to get to meet you before you head out today. We're in a series called You Are Not the King, and what we're doing is studying the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, Uh, and we're doing it uh, non-traditionally. We're starting at the back, and we're moving our way to the beginning. Now, last week, in order to set this series up, we taught out of John chapter 5 in the New Testament, verse 39, this verse that teaches us how to properly understand the Old Testament, and the book of First Samuel, and that is to see that all of it, the whole story, bears witness about Jesus. Now, whenever we read the Old Testament, uh, there's kind of this two-edged thing that we're doing. Uh, there are great stories, and there's good characters, and there's life lessons, and there's wisdom, and all sorts of things, and we shouldn't just disregard that. I mean, sure, we can learn from it, Uh, But most importantly, when we read the Old Testament, what we need to do is see how it points to Jesus and how it's really telling the story, God's redemption story throughout it all, pointing us to Jesus. And so uh, this morning, we're gonna do the same as we continue on uh, looking at the two primary characters. There's really three primary characters uh, in the book of 1 Samuel. There is uh, Samuel himself, who's a prophet, Uh, and a priest. Then there is uh, Saul, who's the first king of Israel. And then there's David, who's the second king of Israel, uh, though he's not in the same line as Saul. And that's what we looked at last week, uh, the tragic end of Saul's life, and therefore his family's reign, and the, uh, the dawning of a new era in David, and the new kingly line. Now we're going to see a moment where David and Saul interact in a way where David spares Saul's life. Now, this is the second of two such stories in the scriptures. And the similarities are enough that some people said, well, maybe it's the same story told from a different way. Uh, But there's enough difference to realize that it is two different stories. The first story happens in Psalm chapter 24. And what's going on is David and his army uh, is camped out in this cave. They're hiding. They're on the run. See, Saul and David uh, were enemies. Saul uh, was jealous of David. We see that through the rest of the book. We'll get into that later. And his jealousy and his anger is driving him. It's making him crazy on the inside. It's uh, dictating his decisions. It's affecting everyone around him. And the entire kingdom is being driven by Saul's jealousy. And so in that first story, Saul is on the lookout for David and David and his army is uh, hidden in this cave and Saul goes in to relieve himself in this cave. Call it coincidence, it's not. It was God's sovereignty that he goes into this cave and David's in there and he sees Saul and he has this chance, kill him or not, end him or not. And what David does is he takes his sword and he cuts off just a little bit, just a little bit of Saul's rope cuts it off. And then after the story ends, Saul um, reveals to David, or David reveals to Saul that he was in the cave and that he could have ended his life. And he shows him the little bit of the, the road that he had cut off. And there is this uh, moment where Saul says, ah, oh, David, thank you. You've shown me mercy. I will, I will never attack you again. I'll never fight you again. I'll never strike you. Uh, we can be end. We can end all of this. It can be over. And now, two chapters later, the exact same thing is happening again. Now, when David cut off that little bit of the robe, it says that his heart was struck and hit him to the core of who he was. Why? Because he saw just that little act, just that little act as an act of vengeance where he was taking it into his own hands. And just that little act hit him to the core. This morning, we're looking at what happens when mercy is shown. What our role in showing mercy is. Where we get our motivation and our ability to show mercy. And we'll see it in this story. Story starts off like this. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gebeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hecula, which is on the east of Jeshamon? These guys are no friends of David. They're ratting him out. They're saying, hey, Saul, he's over there. I know you swore that you weren't going to attack him anymore, but you have a chance, so go take it. Now, there's many perspectives that we could take uh, into this story. Uh, In one hand, you could look at Saul, who was the rightful king, gave David an opportunity to fight Goliath. David fights Goliath, and then Saul makes him a general, and David is successful, and people Start singing his praises, and David climbs up higher than his mentor. Maybe you've seen this play out in work or business or whatever it might be. And from one perspective, Saul could look back and say, I made you. You wouldn't be where you are if it wasn't for me. And now you say that you're the rightful king, that you've been anointed to be king? No, you're trying to divide the nation, David. Who are you to say such things? I and king. Now, on the other hand, David would say, I've just been obedient. I've been obedient to God. I've been obedient to you. I've never tried to take anything from you, Saul. Any praise that has been heaped upon me was not of my own doing. It wasn't something that I sought after, and your vengeance against me is unjust. Now, this is typically the perspective that we see in this story, that Saul is unjustly taking um, vengeance against David. David is the victim here. Saul wants to destroy him and kill him, and it isn't right. Saul's passion to kill David is not small. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Zeph with three chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. So Saul collects the 3,000 best chosen men of Israel and says, you 3,000, you're with me. We're going to go find this one man to kill. there's another sermon in here about how one man's sin can affect a lot. And so they seek after David. Saul is obviously the aggressor here. And Saul encamps on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Now, what would you do in this moment? Run? Hide? Saul and his 3,000 best warriors are now trying to take David out. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. David could see this because he was in an elevated position strategically from a military standpoint and for David's very life. Also from a um, metaphorical position, David has the high ground here. He has the high ground, and he can look in, and he can see. And Saul is surrounded by 3,000 choice warriors. Abner, who is a trusted military leader, is right next to him. Saul is absolutely safe, or as safe as he could possibly be. What does David do with his enemy, knocking with his enemy on the prowl for him? Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abashi, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abashi said, I will, I'll go down with you. Abashi's a brave dude. This is his nephew, by the way. So Abashi says, Uncle David, let's go. So David gives up his high position He gives up his position of strategic importance to do what? To go down where his enemy is and to make himself absolutely vulnerable before his enemy. What do you do when you see your enemy in the hallway? You walk the other way, you puff up your chest. Go to another restaurant. Take a step back, ready your spear your verbal weapon. Not David. David, when he sees his enemy approaching him, he makes himself vulnerable and he goes to him. This is a sermon for another day. Um, But oh, so many of us have tension in our lives. And one of the lessons in this is um, whenever you have an opportunity, however it may be, to take a step towards reconciliation, as apart from away from it, do so. Will it make you vulnerable? Yes, it always will. But when you can, take the step towards as opposed to away. Now, David said to Amalite, okay, we already said that. So David and Abashi went to the army by night. I mean, these guys are military geniuses, all right? David has killed his tens of thousands, at least that's how the song goes. And there lay Saul, sleeping within the encampment, thinking he's perfectly safe, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. And so here go David and Abashi, his little nephew, they sneak in and the enemy is right there and David's got an opportunity. What would you do with this opportunity? You don't see the story correctly unless if you're looking at the lens through David and if you're seeing Saul as the person in life who's hurt you the most. It's the only way you're seeing this story correctly. Saul has cost David greatly. He's made him on the run. He's made him an outcast and a fugitive. He has upended David's life. Currently, he is holding on to something, the kingdom that in some ways is rightfully David's. David's, from a perspective, has every right and from a uh, many perspectives would be justified in taking action against Saul in this moment. And we only see it correctly if we see Saul as the person who's hurt us the most you could have been married to him you might have raised them could have worked with them and now you have a chance to make it all go away and not just a chance to make it away all go away but to get your revenge to destroy them to ruin their reputation because of what you know to share the secret, to finally tell your side of the story, to ruin them, to destroy whatever it is they've been working on. Oh, what would you do? What would you do? There's two perspectives, two perspectives on what to do. The first is this. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Oh, this verse would preach. I mean, we could preach this one. We could get people standing on their feet in excitement with this one. And we could just end it right there, totally abuse the scriptures, and look at this as a way of saying, and now's your moment. Take it. God's delivered it into your hands. Don't you see? Strike back. Ruin them. Finish them. They deserve it. You know what else we do sometimes? We look and say, hey, in chapter 24, Saul said he wouldn't do this again. And so now in chapter 26, he is doing it again. So Saul is a liar. And so since Saul is a liar, now you have a right to go take. The first time, yeah, you should have shown mercy. But the second time, no, 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 no. Now it's on him. Strike him. Tell the truth. Take over. Claim what's yours. That's the first perspective. God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Bashi is whispering to David, this is your moment. Finally, finally we'll get what's ours. We won't have to live in this cave anymore. Now Saul's sleeping, so you you can't see it from his perspective, but imagine um, if you could. He's in the wrong. He's seeking vengeance that is not righteous. He's lied. He's stolen. He's cheated. He's ruined David's life. Ruined it. And he's completely helpless. And the one person in the entire world that he would not want standing over him in this position is right there right there. What would you do? What would you do? I wonder if David went back and thought about how he felt when he had cut the robe. I thought, man, that's how I felt when I just took a little bit of vengeance, right? Like when we just say, oh, well, I'm not going to say anything, but I've heard some things. Well, you just said something, bro or fill in the blank, fill in the blank. We just take just a little bit of vengeance, just a little bit. See, David shows us the second perspective, and Saul is done, finished, over. He's asleep, and he will stay sleeping forever if Abashi's perspective prevails. His line there where he says, um, let me strike him and I won't hit him twice. That's a way of saying, I'm a pro. And there's 3,000 men around us. And I can kill this guy and he won't even make a sound. No one is going to know. In fact, if you jump down to verse 12, and by verse 12, I mean verse, yeah, I mean verse 12. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it. He could have fixed everything and no one would have even known. Translating this, he could have sought vengeance on his enemy. He could have started the rumor. He could have ruined the thing. He could have fill in the blank and no one would even know and he didn't even have to do it. All he had to do was turn an eye and his enemy would be by the way, David says this in the next chapter, or the next line. He says, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. In other words, David is saying both to Saul and to Abashi and to everyone who's listening, God did give you into my hand today but he didn't give you into my hand today for me to ruin you. He gave you into my hand today so that I might show integrity. God might give you an opportunity to ruin your enemy, but he didn't give you that opportunity for your progress. He probably gave it to you for your sanctification. Okay, back to our sermon. Saul's helpless and he's going to die and it's gonna be over unless these next two words are present in the scripture. But David, David acts when Saul could not. But David, if David does not act here, Abashi, boom, over. But David said to Abashi, do not destroy. Don't ruin their reputation. Don't end what they've been doing. Don't do it. Don't destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? In this story... We have to see three things true about mercy. Three things that are always present when mercy is present. Three things about mercy. The first is this. Mercy always requires a new perspective. It requires a new perspective. And through this series, how we would say it is this. You're not the king. You're not the king. In other words, vengeance isn't yours to take. Mercy, mercy is yours to give. So who is vengeance's? Well, David goes on to say, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at the head and the jar of water and let us go. Let me tell you this right now. None of us will be hurt more by a person than Saul hurt David. None of us. None of us will have something taken more than what Saul took from David. None of us have a more justifiable reason to show vengeance on somebody than what David had towards Saul. Saul. But what we see in this passage is so good because the first thing it teaches us is that um, uh, we can take our hands off because vengeance isn't ours. The second thing it teaches us, and this is kind of, uh, be it as it may, is that (laughs) the silver lining here is God will take care of it. He will. And I know right now it looks like they're winning and they shouldn't be. Like, like, you're hurting, and you don't know why. And you're screaming out in your prayer life, God, why? Why are you pouring blessing into Saul's kingdom? Let him move. Let him move. Requiring, showing mercy requires a new perspective second thing is this about mercy not showing mercy has a cost not showing mercy has a cost for who can put his hand out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless what's the cost that's in here it's in here. That's the cost of not showing mercy. How does it gain a man or get a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Don't show mercy. And you know what might happen? You might win. You might win. Your story might be the story that's believed. <laughs> you might get to where you finally wanted to get to. You might be claimed the victor, looking good to everyone else if you don't show mercy, but there is a penalty. It means you'll be guilty, and that penalty, it will take its toll eventually. And it'll mostly take it here, like David, who was struck to the heart on just a little bit of vengeance. Some of us, today, all we need is to be struck to the heart because we've taken vengeance where we shouldn't have. And that would require repentance then on our part. Not showing mercy has a cost. You might look like you won. Third thing this teaches us about mercy. Showing mercy. Showing mercy has a cost, has a cost. Now, we don't see the cost in this story, but we see the cost in the greater story uh, of of David and Saul. We see the cost uh, because David doesn't get to become king right now. I mean, in reality, had David allowed Abashi to do that, probably what's going to happen is they're going to sneak up, David's going to grab his army, they're going to circle the camp, and David's going to go, Saul is dead, I'm king. Y'all work for me now. (laughs) So it cost them. It cost them the kingdom right then and there. Just like it might cost you. where you might have to suffer through some more years of what you didn't want to suffer through. Because David doesn't become king, it's a little more ways here. And he uh, becomes even more of a fugitive after this. He gets kicked out of his nation. And in chapter 30 of this, because David didn't take vengeance right then and there, his kids and his wives are captured and are kidnapped. And it says that it cost him bitterness of soul. Oh, mercy has a cost. That bitterness of soul that David and his men faced, they would have never faced. It wouldn't have happened. Unless David showed mercy. Showing mercy always. Always has a cost. Always has a cost. And David does show mercy. He goes over to the other side and he stands far off on top of the hill with a great space between them. David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, will you not answer, Abner? Then he goes on to make fun of Abner, basically telling him he's bad at his job. Then he goes on to say this, this thing that you have done, Abner, Not protecting your king is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. This is the funny part of the story. He returns the spear, but he keeps the jar of water. I'm gonna go ahead and hold on to the water bottle. Mercy is not easy to show when you're properly thinking about who you might have to show it to. And there's easy mercy. Someone who hasn't hurt you all that bad. Ah, but then there's hard mercy. Because they did take what was yours. They did upend your life. From one perspective, you look and you say, you ruined my life. This wasn't what I thought it was going to be. You could have shown me mercy and none of this would have happened. So where does the strength to do this come from? Where does it come from? How do we get to a place where we can do this? Well, I think we have to see the story and the greater story, the better story, the bigger story that's in this. We have to see ourselves in this story too. Saul sought Vengeance against David, wanted to kill him, was unjustified in his actions towards him. David was his enemy, had the high position, and gave it up and made himself vulnerable, vulnerable even to his enemy. You know what scripture teaches us? Scripture teaches us that each and every one of us, because of our sinful nature, our enemies of God. That it was our sin that put Christ on the cross. And as we were enemies of God, what did he do? He descended down. He put himself right in the enemy's camp. And he made himself completely vulnerable. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 tells us of the very sad state of the human position. It's as sad as Saul's state. Completely vulnerable, completely helpless, ready to die in our sin. And we would have died as Saul would have died. And Saul would have died except what? But David. David acted when Saul could not. In Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 4, after explaining the sinful, deathful state of humanity, the next two words are this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. For it is by grace that you have been saved, and it is not it is not of your own actions. It is the gift of God. He acted when we could not. He was merciful when we Didn't deserve it. Don't you see? Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater David. There was a spear next to Saul, and that spear could have been used to kill the wrong one, the one who was in the wrong could have. Yet David shows up and says, no, do not destroy him. David intercedes on behalf of his enemy. In essence, David takes the spear from Saul so that it doesn't pierce him. And at you and I's lowest moments, when all of the the rightful vengeance of God should have been placed on us due to our sin, Jesus steps in and takes the spear and says, do not destroy them. This is mercy. This is mercy. How do you show this type of mercy to your enemy? You see that it's been shown to you. and you let it melt you. And if it does, it means next time, next time you have the chance to cut off the rope or to end them. Instead of taking a step back, instead of slicing off the rope, you take a step in. Will it make you vulnerable? Yes. Will it hurt? Yes. Yes. But if you've been changed enough by Christ's mercy, if you've let him change you, then you can take that step. Let's pray. We hope you were inspired, challenged, and learned something new. For more information about our church, visit our website at redemptioncitychurch.tv. Have a great week.